Jesus commissioned his followers to go and make disciples. He commanded us to love God and love our neighbors. But he also prayed that we would be united by his spirit as one. So what would happen if the body of Christ began to take each one of these pieces as part of the whole? The great commission, the great commandment, the great collaboration. Let's take a fresh look at the Jesus mission. Good morning once again. I'm one of your pastors, Benjamin, and I count it a joy to speak to you anytime I get to. So we are wrapping up this series, The Jesus Mission, and I love how we've been able to unpack each piece because they all go together and they're all important. So let's start with these questions. Don't try to respond. Just think about it. What do we do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? What do we do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? Now, let me tell you a story. It might sound familiar because it's the greatest story that's ever been told. It's the story of Yeshua, of Jesus. Jesus was there at the creation of everything that is with the Father. He's always been there. And he dwelled with his Father until it was time for him to come to this planet to birth a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a new Eden, a new way to be human. So he came to earth and he came through a poor teenage girl who lived on the outskirts of Israel, way up in the north. He lived an ordinary life. He went through every emotion and struggle and every bit of being a human being. And then he started to speak. And he started to teach. And he started to love and to challenge and rebuke and to prophesy. And he healed and he brought life back out of death. And then... To defeat death, he took death and all of its shadows and he absorbed it all into his heart as he was tortured and mocked and shamed and executed. But he rose back to life, just as he said he would, just as the plan always was, conquering death and sin and instituting, founding, refounding God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Is that the greatest story ever told, church? You can say yes. Now back to our questions. What do we do? And kids, you have a blank piece of paper today. You're welcome. So you can write down these three questions. What do we do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? Now, the good news on top of the good news is that before Jesus left this earth, he, he told us what to do and why we do it and how to do it. He left us with his directives that would glorify the Father and help us to know how to participate in his plan for the redeeming of all things. He left us the great commission 
So what do we do, church? Go. The Great Commission. What do we do? He left us the Great Commandment. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? And he left us his prayer for unity or the great collaboration. How do we do it? Together. Go and love together. But let's focus in today on the great collaboration, something that may sound less familiar than a great commission or a great commandment. So we know that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go before he ascended back to heaven. We know that he taught him them earlier what was the greatest commandment, that it was to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But to find this great collaboration in the Jesus story, we have to look at the night of Jesus' arrest, the night that they finally took him to start the trial, to be able to execute him. So he has this last supper, right, with his closest followers. And then according to the book of John, after they finish eating and Judas goes to do his thing, his betrayal thing, Jesus launches into this most epic last sermon to his followers. And this is really, I want you to, Feel this and catch this. This is really stunning that we have this last sermon of Jesus. Because these words weigh all the more knowing that it was his last sermon. So he's saying the things that he wants to leave them with. Right? This is the last time he can teach them in person. So he goes through this sermon. It's kind of a bookend with the Sermon on the Mount, right? So he tells them to love one another just as he has loved them. A new commandment he gives them. He tells them that he, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. He promises that his spirit will come to comfort them, to speak to them, and to lead them. And he reminds them to stay connected to him as the true vine. He tells them that the world is not going to always understand, and sometimes they're going to get hated because of it or persecuted, but he ends with the joy that will come because he's overcome all of that. He's overcome all of the world. So these are the things that he's leaving his, his disciples with. This is the last sermon of Jesus. But after this, thanks to John who recorded this, we have his prayer. We have the prayer of Jesus. So, John 17, starting in verse 6. And remember, this is after the Last Supper, after this last sermon, and this is what's on Jesus' heart to pray for before he goes and gets arrested. This. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Pause. Can you imagine how empowering and encouraging that would be to be sitting in that room having Jesus pray that over you? Well, hold that thought. Verse 11, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be what, church? Even as we are one. He prays that his people will be one just like he and the Father are one. Now let's let that sink in for a second. Have you ever thought about that prayer, that request of Jesus? For our unity to be the same kind of unity that Jesus has with the Father. That's incredible, and that's heavy, and that's beautiful. The unity of Jesus and God, can you even imagine it? It's so unified, in fact, that they aren't even two anymore. They're one. And that's what Jesus is praying for. But that oneness or that union that Jesus is praying about isn't just so that we can have friendships and fellowship and potlucks and sing-alongs because we love each other and we can stay here and do that. Although fellowship and all of those things are beautiful and good and needed, but he's praying for union among his followers because what he said was because I've sent them into the world. That is why they need this unity, this union. Verse 15, he goes on. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You see the difference? Don't take them out of this world. There is work to be done. Just protect them from the evil one. 16, they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So the prayer isn't for us to be removed onto a safe and separate holy island, is it? Holy island, that kind of sounds like a bad Christian reality show. Holy island with questionable doctrine. But, uh, but his prayer was to keep us here in the world because that is the place into which we have been sent just as Jesus was sent. And so we go into this world, as we go into this world unified, he's asking, us, he's asking for us to be protected from the evil one and for God to sanctify us or make us holy and pure for participation in his purposes and his truth. But do you see that we're not set apart to be separate from the world? We're set apart so that when we go love together, we're effective in the world because we're going under the protection and the truth and the power of Jesus, the same protection, truth, and power that he had. Okay, kids. Hi, kids. Really listen to the next part of this prayer, of Jesus' prayer. 
And I want you to listen for who he's praying for. Here we go. Verse 20. He goes on. He's praying still. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So, kids, who did Jesus start praying for in that part? Everybody. My son said everybody. Yeah, you and me and us. He said, everybody that will believe from what this room is going to go and do, everybody that will believe, the church that is being born and will carry through the generations, he's praying for us. So we're in the Bible, just saying. That's pretty cool. So verse 23, Jesus, he prays for us to be one, but this time he expands the reasons. It's not just because he's been sent and we're sent like him. He expands the reasons to so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So there you have it, the sending or the great commissioning, the loving or the great commandment, and the unity or the great collaboration. They're all here in John 17 and Jesus' last prayer with his team. This is the Jesus mission expressed from the deepest part of the heart of our Savior just before his death. So I have some questions for you. What do we do? What do we do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? We can't love people if we don't go. And we can't show them who God really is if we go without love. And we won't get very far or be very effective if we're not unified together. The Jesus mission straight from the mouth of our Savior is our assignment to be the church. So let's talk more about the together part of Go Love Together. Why is that so important? Well, think about, think about social media. Think about digital technology and communication technology that we all have, right, and enjoy on a daily basis. So it's a pretty new phenomenon in the history of humankind, isn't it? So they've only been able to study this, sociologists and communications people, for a couple of decades. But as they have studied social media and digital connectivity, they've come up with a word that I really like, and the word is co-presence, co-presence. So the term co-presence, it's used to describe the feeling of togetherness that you have with others through that technology when you're not actually physically with 
those people, right? And that's one of the reasons why social media and texting and connectivity digitally is so huge in society because so appealing because we have a sense of being with someone when we're not with them. Co-presence, right? That's what they call it. So there's another term that they use called co-location. So where co-presence is about social relationships, co-location is about spatial relationships. Okay, see the difference? Co-presence is about social relationships. Co-location is about spatial relationships. So to the payoff, to the application then. I would like to present this idea right now. As the church, as the body of Christ, we can be unified in both co-presence and co-location. And yes, digital technology and its applications can be very useful tools for this, right? Hello, everyone at home. But that's not all that I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is the sense of co-presence that comes when a group of people are united in hope and participation in the Jesus message and the Jesus mission. Let me say that again. I'm talking about the sense of co-presence that comes when a group of people are united in hope and participation in the Jesus mission. Our hope says this can be done. And it drives our participation that we actually do something about it. See, when we believe that, when we believe that the Jesus mission to go love together, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, when we believe it's possible, guess what? We start behaving like it's possible. We start acting like it's possible. We start participating in it because we believe that it's possible and we've been called to participate. And when I go about my every, everyday life, when I know that you're going and loving together, I feel a sense of deep co-presence with you. And you do too. Think about it. When I know that our amazing kids are going to school and Judah and Anna and Landon and our kids, they're out there and they're being a light for Jesus in their classrooms and they're showing the love of God to their friends and they're showing the love of God to maybe the kids that have fewer friends or no friends. And when Teresa is teaching and encouraging her students and her coworkers and her staff and everybody that she comes in contact with and Danielle is serving people in ways that nobody sees, right? And when I know our friends, our brothers and sisters at Preservation Church that share our building, when I know they're hitting the streets with food and prayer and the gospel and listening to folks that are struggling. And I know our friends at V3, they're raising $100,000 to go straight to combating the evil of trafficking human beings like commodities. When I know that's going on, I feel that co-presence with you even when we're not together. Do you feel that too? And that's so encouraging to me. That motivates me to do the same thing. 
to go and love together apart. Talked a lot about apart together, together apart last year, right? Because of uh, the pandemic, right? that. But it's so encouraging when I know and you know that we are out there on assignment in our daily lives, acting as agents of shalom, speaking wholeness and peace, life and light into the spaces we inhabit. That's the co-presence I'm talking about. And it's so encouraging. But we also have co-location, a spatial relationship, because we choose to gather here. We still gather in the year 2021. They started in houses, gathering, went through a lot of persecution to keep gathering, and we're going to keep gathering. Because when we choose to gather, we are co-located. We are spatially related. We are physically together. And most of us, many of us, live in the same general area, right? That's co-location. And Jesus was specific when he commissioned us, wasn't he? He said, go into Judea and Samaria and all over the world. And so because we are co-located, spatially related, we pour into this place, right? This place. This is our corner of the kingdom. And yes, we pour into element here and we steward our resources and our energies and our tools and our children. Well, but by this place, I also mean this place out there. You can't see that from home. I'm pointing to the door. Out there, our city, Tampa Bay, that's why we say yes to combating the evils and destruction and sin and shadow that's brought into our city. Like human trafficking, like destroyed families that leave children in their wake with no one. This is why we combat that, because it's our city. It's our place. And by this place, I mean working with our local brothers and sisters Despite secondary or tertiary doctrinal differences, despite all that, working with them to bring shalom to our city. To our city. And by this place, I mean our world. I mean our global citizenship. Just like Jesus said, to the ends of the earth, go. And we're looking for international partners right now to reestablish our international reach, to obey the Great Commission. So if you have ideas about that, talk to me after, okay? But we experience co-presence as we're unified in our mission while we're apart. And we experience co-location because we also unite physically to bring the love of God into the places that we inhabit together inside and outside of these walls and I have some good news about this really it's the best news I could have about this is that we don't have to do all of that on our own we don't have to drum up the energy to sustain ourselves and also newsflash we we can't we can't 
But the good news is that Jesus sent the Spirit, His Spirit, the Comforter, He called it, to fill us and to energize us and to speak to us and to remind us and to lead us as we go love together. The Spirit, it, hear me, the Spirit in us unifies us for the work we've been called to do. And when we've tried to do this on our own, we, the human family, it leads actually, ironically, to the opposite. It leads to division. Back in the book of Genesis, in a place that would become Babylon, a bunch of people, they decide to try something together. They decide to build a city, and in the city would be a huge tower that reached into the heavens, right? And now, when we read this story, we usually treat them kind of badly in our reading, uh, how prideful they were, that they thought they could build a tower to heaven. Who do they think they are? That's not how you get to God. It's by grace alone. And true, but let's take a fresh look at the story, okay? Go back to Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. All right, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Remember that. Five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. They left it off. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Stay with me. Did you catch the real motivation there? Have you ever caught that before? Their actual motivation for building this city and this tower to make a name for themselves, it was so they would not be dispersed. It was to hold themselves together. It was an attempt at unity, a man-made, man-powered attempt at unity. If we do this, we can keep us together and we won't be dispersed. And did that work? No. The Lord dispersed them and he confused their language. And while that might sound weird, remember this, God is gracious and merciful, period. So perhaps it was because his mercy that he interrupted their plans so that they could no longer operate under the delusion of writing the story of their own unity. So hear this. We can't build enough or plan enough or get behind enough clever marketing campaigns or short-term visions to create real and lasting true union with one another. 
And we cannot homogenize ourselves so uniformly that we're unified because we agree on exactly what tower to build and exactly what type of language to speak and exactly what goals to reach. The kind of union that Jesus enjoys with the Father that he prayed over us, the kind of unity that we need to go love together, that comes from one place and one place only, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Now, fast forward from Babel. Let's build this tower to the heavens because we can unite around it. Didn't work. Fast forward all the way to the story of the first church. They were trying to figure everything out, everything out about how to be a church. There was no church, right? They're figuring it out. What does Go Love Together look like without Jesus? Because he's gone at this point. So go to Acts 2. And this is pretty cool. It's one of those mirror image things from Old to New Testaments. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. It's Pentecost, so there's a lot of people in town, okay? And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They've been drinking before noon. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. But that wasn't the case. See, when it's the Spirit of God that moves, there is a unity like no other, a union that answers the prayer of Jesus to be one. So look at these two stories. Where Babel failed to bring unity, Pentecost succeeded. Where Babel was man's efforts for unity, Pentecost was the Spirit's work for unity. Where Babel is where languages were confused to prevent man's pursuit of glory, Pentecost is where the Spirit translated those languages for the glory of God. Where the work of Babel was abandoned, the unified work of the Spirit that began at Pentecost is still going strong. Amen? And by the way, do you know what happened next in the story? Everybody had gathered because of the weird sounds of the wind and the hundred languages, and Peter unleashes a mega sermon 
and the Holy Spirit moves and 3,000 people say yes to the Jesus way. And that changed the trajectory of the kingdom of God and the birth of the church. As we go and love the people of this world in ways big and small, we must go together. We must go together. We all know that there are many languages being spoken out there. And I'm not just talking about the different languages that we speak around the world. I'm talking about the language of division, the language of despair, the language of straight up hate, the language of perfection, the language of religion, the language of cynicism. There are many languages in the cacophony of earthly noise. But there is the Spirit of God alive in us, unifying us in the language of the love of the merciful and mighty Creator God, who can speak that language through us if we choose to follow in obedience every day in every way the great commission, the great commandment, and the great collaboration. So church, one more time, what do we do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? May it be so. Let's pray. Band, you can come up. Lord, we want to say yes with our whole hearts to the Jesus mission. We want to honor the commands to go and to love. And God, we want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer for union. More than unity, more than like-mindedness, more than you know, we kind of have the same doctrine more than any of that. Something that supersedes all of that. Something that we can't create or sustain. A union like Jesus has with you, God. A oneness. Jesus, we know that was the prayer of your heart. That is what you wanted. God, forgive us when we haven't done that. When we as the church, the capital C church, haven't done that. And all of our divisions and all our denominations and all the disagreements. But God, like Pentecost, we pray for a movement of the Spirit over this church, over the churches of our city that we are taking back into the light and over your church worldwide for unity, for oneness. God, what could we do? What could we accomplish if our churches were one? If we said, you know what? There's resources, there's money that's going over here. Why is it going over there? Let's push back the darkness with that money. What if we said, I'm spending my time over here? Why am I spending my time over there? There's people that need love. And then we go. What if, what if we all did that? 
What if Tampa Bay was like a city on the hill that people said, not, oh, that place is churchy, or that place is evangelical, or that place is this religion, or that, but people said, that place is flourishing. That's a place of beauty. It's a city on a hill. Why is there wellness there? Why is there healing there? Why is there peace there? What happened to the demand for human trafficking? How did they do it? Spirit, we believe that you can unite all of us to do that work you've called us to do. You wouldn't have called us if you hadn't already empowered us. So we want to say yes to you, God, today to be a leader in this city, to unite with others under the banner of Shalom. May it be so.